Our text this morning, as we hear from the living God and his word, is Hebrews 11, verses 23 to 26. Along with it, we'll be spending time in Exodus 1, verse 8, to chapter 2, verse 15. So if you have your Bible available and can follow along, that will be helpful as usual. We begin a new section of Hebrews chapter 11 this morning. But first, let's briefly review where we are. Hebrews 10, verse 19, began what is a long section of exhortation in this written sermon, in which the pastor exhorts his hearers and us to keep holding fast, to stay true to Christ, to persevere in faith until the end, so they receive the final reward. Chapter 10, verse 36, that we've read so often, says, You have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And so the pastor brought us into chapter 11 to show us what the faith that receives the final reward looks like. And we've already covered quite a lot of it. In verses 3 to 7, we learned from the examples of ancient persons of faith, We saw that faith pleases God, that faith sees what is invisible, that those who exercise faith walk with God and are righteous before him. Then in verses 8 to 22, we turned our attention to the patriarchs and matriarchs of Israel. With our focus on Abraham, but also considering Sarah and their descendants, we learned that faith looks ahead to the future promises of God. That with those promises in view, faith responds to God's call, accepts the cost that call entails, and meets the challenge of believing that nothing is impossible with the Lord. Faith even sees us through death. As over time, we learn to trust the plan of God to bring about the promises of God, a plan that extends far beyond our own lives. Moving on now into verses 23 to 31 of Hebrews chapter 11, we find the pastor's focus is now on Moses and the exodus from Egypt under Moses' leadership. But we also find here the beginnings of the conquest with the mention of Jericho in verse 30, and then finally, verse 31 mentions Rahab. That means the events covered in this part of Hebrews 11 span the history of Israel from Exodus to Joshua in the Old Testament. My plan is to spend four weeks in these verses before we then conclude Hebrews 11, looking at verses 32 to 38. This week and next week, we'll be focused on Moses. Then comes World Mission Sunday uh, for us on February 14th after which in the first two Sundays in Lent, we'll take up the fall of Jericho and then the faith of Rahab. This morning in verses 23 to 26, we look at two of five examples of faith that the pastor draws from Moses' life. Both of them are found within the first two chapters of Exodus that Karina read earlier. What I want to emphasize from these two examples 
this morning is faith's choice. Faith involves making choices. I think you'll probably agree that in fact, faith always makes itself known through its choices. One way to think about life is that it is a relentless stream of choices to be made. And while there are what we think of as smaller and larger decisions in life, and while innumerable variables constrain or even dictate some of the choices we have to make, it seems to me basically true that moment by moment, day by day, year by year, Our lives are shaped by the choices we make. To live by faith, therefore, is to choose faithfully. It is to choose the way of God and his word in matters both small and large in our lives. What I think we see in verses 23 to 26 of Hebrews 11 are just two aspects of faith's choice. In verse 23, the pastor writes about Moses' parents and a courageous choice they made. That is the first aspect, that making faithful choices sometimes requires great courage. Then in verses 24 to 26, the pastor writes about a key moment in Moses' life when he made a choice that the pastor describes as carefully calculated. Making faithful choices sometimes requires courage and it sometimes requires careful calculation. Oftentimes, it requires both. We begin then with faith's courage in verse 23. As he begins his consideration of Moses' faith, the pastor writes first about Moses' parents. Verse 23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents, because they saw that the child was beautiful, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. The context, which we heard read earlier, is Exodus chapter 1. Worried by the rising numbers of the people of Israel, Pharaoh tried everything he could to stop them. He forced them to become his slaves. But Exodus chapter 1 verse 12 says, The more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied, and the more they spread abroad. So that Pharaoh then ordered the midwives, Shifra and Puah, to kill every Hebrew boy at birth. But those courageous women defied Pharaoh. Fearing God, in Exodus chapter 1, verse 20 says, the people multiplied and grew very strong. And so Pharaoh resorts to the semi-genocidal policy of Exodus 1, verse 22. Then Pharaoh commanded all his people, every son that is born to the Hebrews, you shall cast into the Nile, but you shall let every daughter live. It was during such desperate times that a young Hebrew couple dared to marry. Exodus chapter 2 verse 1. Now a man from the house of Levi went and took as his wife a Levite woman. The woman conceived and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a fine child, 
she hid him three months. Well, the child, of course, was Moses. Later in Exodus chapter 6, verse 20, we learn the names of Moses' parents. They are Amram and Jochebed. We learn that Amram and Jochebed had another son, Aaron, who would be high priest, as well as a daughter, Miriam, the prophetess, whom we met in chapter 1's reading. But it seems there was something about Moses. Exodus chapter 2, verse 2 is, of course, the verse behind Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23. And a comparison of those two verses leads us to some important observations. To start with, though it's not a major detail, you may have noticed that Exodus chapter 2, verse 2 in the ESV, which is translated from the Hebrew text, says it was Moses' mother who hid him three months, whereas Hebrews says it was his parents. The reason is that since the ancient Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, says, in fact, it was Moses' parents, it's not surprising that the pastor follows suit. But at any rate, both of them would have had to have been involved for the plan to work. More importantly, note the reasons given in Hebrews 11, verse 23, for why Moses' parents did what they did. You notice there that the pastor provides two reasons why Moses' parents hid him, whereas Exodus 2, verse 2 gives only one. The reason common to both passages is that Moses' parents saw something about the child. In Exodus 2, verse 2, we read that Jochebed saw that he was a fine child. But as that's not very clarifying or helpful, it's of some interest that the pastor writing Hebrews uses an unusual Greek term that he takes from the Septuagint translation at this point. The ESV translates that Greek term with the word beautiful, but I think that gives perhaps the wrong impression. I much prefer the way the New International Version translates it. The NIV of Hebrews chapter 11, verse 23, says Moses' parents hid him three months because they saw he was no ordinary child. Jewish tradition employed the very Greek terminology found here in Exodus 2 to underscore the extraordinary status of Moses. That may be part of what lies behind Stephen the martyr's use of that same terminology in his speech, in Acts 7, verse 20, there Stephen says, At this time Moses was born, and he was beautiful, there's that word, but Stephen says he was beautiful in God's sight. Well, the fact is, we can't precisely know what it was that Moses' parents saw in their baby boy. Pastor gives no further explanation than using the word found in the Greek text. But I think that whatever it was, it wasn't that they acted merely out of parental affection. Somehow, Amram and Jochebed realized that God had a special purpose for their son. Verse 
As one commentator puts it, they could see what the unbelieving could not. Both God's power at work in Moses' birth and Moses' God-intended role in the future fulfillment of the promises. So however they came to understand it, many commentators through the centuries speculate that God may have given either Moses' mother or father a vision or a dream of some kind, but we don't know. The critical thing is that by faith, they then made a courageous choice. The second reason Hebrews 11 verse 23 gives for their hiding of Moses is that they were not afraid of the king's edict. That doesn't mean they were not afraid that if Moses were found, he would be killed. They knew he would be. That's why they hid him. No, the point is that they weren't afraid concerning the consequences that could come to them, you see. Despite the powerful rule of the Pharaoh who had them enslaved, Amram and Jochebed risked their own lives by faith. By faith, they were able to look that fear in the face and not give in to it. Theirs was a courageous choice. Why? Well, because as we've seen in recent weeks, God's power transcends death. To use Abraham's words, ours is a God who is able to raise from the dead. Moses' parents braved opposition and possible death because they could see by faith that God's hand was at work. And it didn't end there in hiding Moses. I think it's fair to say that Moses' parents' faith was even more severely tested when it became impossible for them to conceal Moses any longer. They continued to believe that in some way God would preserve their child. Jochaved sends her beautiful baby boy off into the river. Little did they expect that that boy would be found by no less than Pharaoh's daughter and be brought up in the royal palace as her own son with his own mother, first as his nurse. Moses was preserved by his parents' courageous choice. And what's more, Moses would also be nurtured by their faith. The age of weaning of a child was likely uh, significantly later than is common today such that in his formative young years, Moses incubated within an atmosphere of faith. There he became aware of his own origins. There he was taught to fear God. And there he was made conscious, I believe, of his call to deliver his people. In Acts chapter 7, verse 25, Stephen says that when Moses made his first attempt to defend his people, quote, he supposed that his brothers would understand that God was giving them salvation by his hand. Moses' choice to take a stand with Israel was at least partly motivated by this knowledge of his calling as deliverer, and it was all thanks to his parents' faith. Moses was preserved by his parents' courageous faith, and through their faith, Moses became a great man of faith. 
In his young age, he was made conscious of his own identity and of the promises of the Lord to the afflicted people of Israel. Amram and Jochebed couldn't give Moses any of the glorious riches of Egypt, but they gave him what was most important of all, faith in the Lord. It would be by that faith that Moses chose to be identified with the people of God. So we come then to verses 24 to 26, where we consider faith's calculation. Listen again to these verses. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Now, as we study these verses in Hebrews 11, it's critical that we become clear as to what event is exactly in view here. That's going to take some explanation. To start with, notice in verse 24 that the pastor says Moses' choice came when he was grown up. Now you may have caught that that phrase is taken directly from Exodus 2, verse 11. So if you have your finger there still in Exodus, go back there and we'll read it. Exodus 2, verse 11. One day, when Moses had grown up, that's the link, and just for reference, in Acts chapter 7, Stephen says this came when Moses was 40 years old. Okay, so that's what grown up means in this context. When Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Then verse 12, he looked this way and that, and seeing no one, Moses struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. And so immediately, I'm sure you sense the challenge. The challenge is, what are we supposed to make of the fact that Moses kills somebody here? Is that what the pastor's referring to in Hebrews 11, verse 23? Well, many commentators think it is. But I think it's critical to notice that the pastor, in fact, makes no explicit mention of what happens in Exodus 2, verse 12. He doesn't say, by faith, Moses killed an Egyptian slave driver. That's significant, I think, for reasons I'll come to in a minute. But since this is, in any event, before us here in Exodus chapter 2, and would have been known very well to the readers and hearers of the, sermon, the written sermon of Hebrews, allow me to make a few brief comments on Moses doing this, on Moses killing the Egyptian. My own conclusion is that what Moses did here in Exodus 2, verse 12, was wrong. But there are those who defend his action. Some suggest that the Egyptian got what the Egyptian deserved. They point to the fact that 
in the Hebrew text of Exodus, the same verb is used in verses 11 and 12, first to speak of the Egyptian beating the Hebrew, and then of Moses striking, or striking down, as the ESV has it, the Egyptian. The verb used is the same. So that it may be that the slave driver intended to beat his slave to death, and that if so, it could be argued that Moses did what he had to do to save a life. Perhaps Moses didn't even intend to kill the man. Others suggest that what Moses committed was justifiable because it was a divinely sanctioned act of judgment against God's enemies. One Exodus commentator proposes that Moses' action isn't to be viewed as an act of vengeance or rash zeal, but instead as a proleptic execution of divine judgment against Egypt. We can't dismiss that too quickly because there seems to be at least a hint of it in what Stephen says in Acts chapter 7, verses 23 and 24. There Stephen says, when Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel, and seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. Well, ultimately, while recognizing there is certainly something to these uh, multiple observations, I still find myself concluding that what Moses did was wrong for three reasons. First, it seems to me it was unnecessary. That Moses could have protected the slave without resorting to killing the slave driver. Second, it seems to me it wasn't God's will. That whatever Moses thought about what he was doing, God had not yet called Moses to lead his people out of Egypt. And third, it seems to me that it wasn't God's way. That God hadn't commanded Moses to take up arms against the oppressor as if somehow Moses could liberate Israel one Egyptian at a time. Later, God himself would smite the Egyptians. But that was his business, and that time had not yet come. Really, I think the bottom line is that what Moses did was wrong, because murder is wrong, and Moses knew it. Why else would verse 12 say, He looked this way and that, and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Moses hoped no one would find out what he had done, as the end of verse 14 makes perfectly clear. But if that's right, if Moses' striking down the Egyptian was a sinful, or at least the improper act at that time, well then what are we to make of Hebrew ele Hebrews 11's seemingly unqualified endorsement of Moses here? Does it not seem to be at least a somewhat idealized take on a man who committed a secret crime and then ran away to hide? I think so, which is why I want to return to the point I made a moment ago. Consider again the fact that the pastor says nothing about Moses killing the Egyptian. Is it possible 
that the pastor isn't even referring to that exact event. What exactly is the pastor endorsing here? Or here's another way of asking the question. At what point did Moses make the choice that the pastor describes here in Hebrews 11, verses 24 to 26. Notice again what the text says. By faith Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. Note how strongly the pastor emphasizes here Moses' decision to identify with the Hebrew people instead of identifying as a son of Pharaoh's daughter. The question I have is, do we find that emphasis also in Exodus? And the answer is, we do. Where I think we find it is precisely in Exodus 2, verse 11. Now, you may think I'm trying to thread a needle here that can't be threaded, but this is my best attempt to interpret what the pastor says. So look one more time with me at Exodus 2, verse 11. Twice in Exodus 2, verse 11, the wording, his people, is used with reference to the Hebrew slaves, right? One day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people, and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. Seems that that day, when Moses visited the labor camps where the Hebrews lived and worked, he felt a sense of solidarity with them. He realized that they were his blood relations, the people of his very own family. Notice again how Stephen frames this episode in his sermon in Acts 7. In Acts 7, verse 23, he says, When Moses was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers, the children of Israel. Evidently, Moses had not been in the habit of going out to visit his brothers. But one day, at the age of 40, something moved him to do so. And when it did, Exodus 2 verse 11 says, Moses went out to his people. The Hebrew verb for went out there is the verb yatsah, and it's the same verb that would be later used to describe the exodus. Could it be that before Israel could go out of Egypt, Moses needed to go out of Egypt himself? Notice also how after Moses went out to his people, Exodus 2 verse 11 says he looked on their burdens. That seems to be a significant comment also. The Hebrew verb used there for looking can mean more than simply to look or to see. It can mean to see with emotion. It can describe the kind of watching that demands intense personal involvement with what you are seeing. The point may be not just that Moses saw their burdens, but that in seeing them, he had compassion on his people. And you see, if all of that, or even just some of those things, from Exodus 2, verse 11, if that's on track with how we're supposed to read it, then I think it helps us to understand Hebrews. 
Because I think what the pastor has in view here isn't what Moses did in Exodus 2 verse 12, though that of course immediately follows. Rather, it would seem that Moses is going out to the Hebrews and looking on them with compassion in Exodus 2 verse 11 was the very moment that the pastor describes. I think it was a life-changing, heart-transforming trip for the son of Amram and Jochebed. We have to keep in mind here that Moses had come through the educational system of the Egyptian court. Stephen says in Acts 7 verse 22 that Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. His had been the finest training the world then had to offer. But the wisdom of the Egyptians wasn't all good stuff. One of the primary goals of Pharaoh's educational system was to reinforce the pride of those in power. After reviewing the ancient Egyptian curriculum, one scholar says this, among these documents, one category of educational materials is particularly conspicuous, namely texts that express a deep contempt of manual labor and for those who do it while stressing the value of study and the life of leisure. In some texts, slaves, some Egyptian texts, slaves are described as the living dead. They are compared to donkeys. Their hard labor is contrasted with the pleasures of the ruling elite who enjoy a life of ease. You see, this would have been ingrained in Moses through his education in Pharaoh's court. All of that is what's in the background, I think, when the pastor describes in Hebrews 11 verse 25 how Moses chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. The primary reference there is not to sinful pleasures in the sense of illicit sensual enjoyment or excess. The word could be translated as advantages. That Moses chose rather to be mistreated than to have the advantages that his incredible upbringing had afforded him. Not that the luxuries of Egypt weren't also in view. Verse 26 explicitly mentions the treasures of Egypt as part of what Moses was willing to forego. The point is that Moses had everything the world had to offer. Whether in terms of status or position, or in terms of leisure and luxury, Moses had everything to lose and nothing to gain. But as I understand the pastor in Hebrews chapter 11, the moment Moses was moved to compassion by the sufferings of God's people, the moment when he went out to his people and looked on their burdens, as Exodus 2 verse 11 describes it, that's when Moses made his choice. From then on, he would be a despised Hebrew rather than a privileged Egyptian. The only question that remains is, why? Why did he make that choice? What was Moses' reason to leave behind the power and the prestige of the palace? <laughs> 
Well, we don't have to guess. The pastor tells us. By faith, the pastor says, Moses made a calculation. That's what verse 26 says. Moses made this choice in that moment because he considered. The verb means he reckoned. He accurately calculated. The reproach of Christ, greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. By faith, Moses reckoned. And what he reckoned was the vast superiority of the divine reward. The value of the treasures of Egypt were legendary. Yet Moses refused to compare Egypt's treasures with God's promises. The end of verse 26 says literally that Moses kept on looking toward the reward. Like Abraham, he saw God's promised city. He had his parents' vision into the things of God. He firmly believed in a God who was the rewarder of the faithful, and he understood the unique relationship that Israel, his people, had with the living God. And all of it then meant that to Moses, his path was clear. Brothers and sisters, the calculation of faith is that the values and the allurement of this world are not comparable with those everlasting blessings which are guaranteed by the promises of God. That calculation was what drove Moses' choice that day. Would he identify himself with the Hebrew slaves or with their Egyptian masters? This is the kind of choice faith demands. And Moses said yes to his identity as an Israelite, as a son of Abraham, as a follower of Yahweh. That meant he also said no to his status as a prince of Egypt, a son of Pharaoh's daughter, a servant of the gods of the Nile. And he did it even as he knew it would mean suffering, right? Verse 25 says he chose rather to be mistreated with the people of God. Verse 26 says he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. The reproach of Christ. Much ink has been spilt over the centuries attempting to explain the meaning of that phrase here in Hebrews 11. I don't think I can confidently tell you all that it may mean or all that Moses himself understood about it. But it seems to me that the words of one Old Testament scholar here is, are right when he says that this phrase indicates an actual participation by Moses in Christ's shame in the same way as the saints who follow Christ later also share. That in other words, in some way, Moses understood that the choice he made was in line with what it entails to follow the Lord. That Moses' choice is the choice all must make who would follow Jesus. The pleasures and treasures of Egypt or 
affliction with the people of God and fellowship in the cross of Christ. Faith makes this calculation. And the choice is then clear. In closing, I'd like to quote at length from a preacher who I think captures well the import of our text this morning. He says this, Many will look upon Moses' choice and cry, What a fool! To have all that, honor, power, pleasure, wealth, and throw it away. These are the very things vast multitudes spend their lives seeking to gain only a portion of. And here Moses throws it all away. What folly! What would Moses say to all that? I think he would say two words from verse 26 in our text, of Egypt. What treasures did he cast away? They were treasures that he knew, treasures of Egypt, which he then compared to the riches of God. Then Moses would have added two more words from verse 25, fleeting pleasures. The pleasures of sin he rejected would last only for a short time. This is how Moses' faith made its calculation. And once we accept his principle, we do not marvel at his choice. What did faith tell him? But that there was a reward in heaven that far outweighed any treasure of Egypt. As Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Faith showed Moses a crown that does not fade, a glory that shines with heaven's light, and faith showed Moses how to reckon the afflictions of God's people. The choice facing Christians is not always as stark as the one before Moses, since Pharaoh represented an, in, an explicitly idolatrous enterprise. Like Moses, every believer will have to ask whether he or she is honoring God or betraying him, compromising with sin or restraining it, and serving his neighbor or exploiting his fellow man. Christ calls his followers to be salt in the world, and this requires most Christians to work in worldly institutions, but he then warns them against losing their saltiness in the process. In Moses' case, knowing his times and his own heart, his faith called him to take a sacrificial stand against the world and for the Lord. This was Moses' calling for Moses' own situation. But let us realize how greatly his way of thinking cuts across the grain of our own relativistic age. For him there was no half-hearted allegiance, no faint commitment, no looking back upon the city of sinful pleasure. He knew what James would later say, that God will not reward the double-minded man. By faith, Moses chose to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the reward. 
Brothers and sisters, faith always makes itself known through its choices. At times, to choose faithfully in our lives will require great courage. Courage that trusts God even in the face of death. At other times, to choose faithfully will require careful calculation. Rightly reckoning the vast superiority of the divine reward to which we are always looking. Of course, not all of Moses' choices would be good ones. Following on the murder of the Egyptian slave driver, Moses would then spend 40 years in the wilderness before God would call him from the burning bush. There was still much to be learned about living by faith. Moses' first attempt to rescue the Israelites had ended in failure. But God was planning to save his people, and Moses was still part of that plan. And next week, we'll see how it happened. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.